My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have never seen Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone even remotely related to the Burn Notice cinematic television universe... Please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, connections, compliments, and absolutely, as always, no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And as always, my lovelies, that is burnnoticed with a D. Ooh, my lovelies. I like that. <laughs> I enjoy that. I started out with like no energy and I was like, I got to find it somewhere gotta in this find intro. The energy, like somewhere. <laughs> you can hear it evolve as we do our intro. <laughs> I'm glad. I, wait, I never listened to this show. <laughs> You but used I might. To. I used to. Can I say that should have been my intro? <laughs> and I used to listen to this show. I don't anymore. I. I mean, I was there. <laughs> Allegedly, guys. Just for some context, mm-hmm. when we record, I'm here. Yeah, she I'm is part of it. I am part of the recording. I am here for the recording process. Mm-hmm. I am a witness. Yep. To the recording process. I haven't just done one of those Mission Impossible things where I got her to say, like, the quick round fox and then, like, use a computer program to code her side of this podcast. You know, it's funny. That's one of those things that if you saw it in a movie, like, ten years ago. Like, what movie is that? What's that from? That one's from... Ooh. Mission Impossible? It, well, it's from one of the Mission Impossible. Yeah, I, I, can't, I think it might be three. Can I say? I've never seen a Mission Impossible movie. You should watch the Mission Impossible movies. I They're know. very fun. I've been meaning to, but I keep looking and they're not like streaming anywhere. Yeah, I yeah. at one point a couple of years ago, I bought a four pack on iTunes. Remember when iTunes used to be like much bigger with yeah. like movie rentals and they used to have deals all the time on like right. different packages and different. So like that's how we got five episode, five or six episodes of Burn Notice all those years ago is that they had like a a special deal on a pack of them that was like these are the episodes with like the the best spy tips in them. It was like the spy package. Right. And Bad Breaks, of course, was exactly. in there, which no, is why I you, bought the whole packet. No, we've talked about this before. But, like, yeah, I also scooped up a, a either three or four pack of Mission Impossible movies um, in a similar yeah, no, I, iTunes deal. been meaning to do that for years, but just it's not, they're not easily available. Yeah, they're really not. I wonder, are they anywhere? Mission? I mean, yeah, they might be now. Ooh, it's on Paramount+. Oh, it's on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, wow. Is all of them? Is all of them on Paramount Plus? Is all of them Paramount Plus? Um, I have Paramount Plus. So do I. Because I I watch Star Trek. Mm Mm-hmm. I have not watched it yet. I'm watching Yellow Jackets. But your list, I'm sure, will be very helpful to me. I made a list of a season's worth of episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation so that once you've watched that list, you get a sense of Next Generation and can then watch DS9. It's a very good list, actually. Also, Bridge of Spies, which I did mention in the cold dump. That's a good movie about a spy. If you like spies and you haven't seen that movie, which not enough people did, go watch that movie. Is Tell it me. a new movie? It was like from 2015. I'm going through Latter-day Spielberg because I'm re-listening to Blank Check. Ah, so got I, it. I was wa- I'm watching along with Blank Check. I watched Bridge of Spies. They love that movie. And I was like, I'll watch this movie. And it is a very good movie. Would I like it? Uh, Knowing what you know about my taste? It is 100% a movie about Tom Hanks being good at his job. 
Well, that's, I mean, because that is what he does I really, now. I don't really have any opinions about Tom Hanks one way or another. He's sort of just like a neutral, but you but know, the, a competence the, porn movie about spies. It is very much a... My engines are revving. It is very much Spielberg making a Capra movie. Cap, Franz Capra, he was a director from like the 30s and 40s. Good he for made, him. Mr. Spimp Goes to Washington. He made It's a Wonderful Life. It's oh, like It's a Wonderful Life is my mom's favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. It's such a fucking long movie. I like it, but watching it every year starts to get old. Oh, no, yeah. It's, that's the thing about It's a Wonderful Life. It's too long to it's watch way every too year. Long. So that's why, I thank God for AirPods, now I can just listen to a podcast while she watches the movie, and it looks like I am also watching the movie. But yeah, no, it's a good, it's a very dad movie but it's like a very very well made dad movie because Spielberg made it and for, all, like, for all my daddy issues I do love a good dad movie no then you should watch Bridger Spies hence watching Mission no. Impossible no you should then you should definitely watch Bridger Spies where did, where did you watch it's it? 100% American propaganda uh, I like, mean most dad movies are exactly and like all Capra movies are like Capra explicitly also made propaganda for the United States of America during World War II that mm. is like, a fact about Friends Capra. Is it streaming anywhere? Um, or did you have to buy it with your... Oh, that's the thing. Your human-owned money. Your, so, your human um, money. I almost bought it. That's right. I forgot that I almost bought it and then didn't buy it because friend of me, and not necessarily friend of this podcast, but friend of the Watchathon of Wrestling, Matt Golden, has a plex, and he puts a bunch of stuff on his plex. Ah. And he happened to have Bridges Fries on his plex. So I told him this... Like, over chat, but I will say it on this podcast. Hey, thanks, Matt. <laughs> Does Matt listen to this podcast? No, but it's fine. <laughs> That's the thought that The important thing is that I have to say, hey, thanks, Matt. That, that, was, was, that was a conversation that, was that we conversation. had that accounts for an intro. Exactly. Should we talk about Burnos now? We should. So this is season six, episode 17, called You Can Run, which aired December 20th, 2012, which was written by Craig O'Neill and directed by Nick Gomez. The episode description on IMDb reads, each side takes a hostage as Agent Riley finally catches up with Michael, but Sam may not make it out alive. Incidentally, Bridge of Spy is also about prisoner exchange. Ooh. I do love hostage situation, like stories and plot lines i think they're exciting yeah it's not so much a hostage situation thing it's much more about the negotiation of it Mm, okay but yeah well let's get into the weeds let's get in the weeds (laughs) i have nothing else to say i I guess i will say that so i watched this episode on friday um we're recording this on sunday we always record on sundays and then i waited until this morning to watch the finale because i kind of wanted to have a little bit of like a cliffhanger and not know right away if Sam makes it out alive. So that was my experience watching the the final two episodes of season six. Cause like I fully have no idea where this is going. And that's been kind of fun to right. you know, approximate what it must have been like. I to- mean I did that. I did I watched Burn Notice Saturday night and watched Burn Notice again Sunday morning. <laughs> but I, watched... I made like a very distinct choice of like I could have watched this on Friday and I was like, no, I wanna wait. I wanna be fresh to it. That makes sense. So, as of Thursday, this is what happened. Uh, it's the dead of night, and both Michael and Fee are in bed, sleeping on their backs, which I can't relate to. Do you? What's your sleeping position? I have a weird back that makes sleeping on my back difficult and annoying. Yeah, well, and I feel like sleeping on your back is not really comfortable. Like it I doesn't. Mean, it doesn't look natural to me. I don't either. I feel like my own weird body issues are such that I don't feel like I can 
generalize my experiences based on other people. Sure. Because, like, I have, like, a weird back, and I also have a very narrow back of my head, which means that when I lay on my back, all of the weight of my giant head is, like, put on a very small surface area on the back of my head. So it's, like, it is kind of painful. To I'm looking on. at you. The picture that you're painting in words is like, it makes for an absolutely wild imagining of what your body looks like. And I know what your body looks like. Cause I'm looking at it. Like you're describing yourself like this weird alien. Okay. <laughs> with like Comic book proportions, which you don't have. Yes. But you have to understand that I literally grew up believing this because I had body dysmorphia and gender dysphoria. Yes. That's fair. It's just, it's so funny listening to you describe something that I'm looking at. <laughs> No, I like, and I imagine the experience of it feels more like distinct and like, um, what's it called? Like extreme than perhaps like the overall just looking from the outside at your body. It's just it's it's a very I'm feeling weird dysmor- visual dysmorphia having you describe this to me. I literally thought that I could have been an alien when I was a child. That's dark. It was. That's really dark. I'm better now. I'm glad to hear that. But I also don't sleep on my back. I feel like sleeping on your back is a thing that, like, if you accidentally fall asleep, you do. But you can't, like, comfortably stay that way unless you're exhausted or on a couch. Right. What I'm saying is they don't look like they're actually asleep. And to be fair, Michael isn't actually asleep. He gets up and he goes to his little secret meeting from his gravestone note. Apparently Um, sleeping on your back is, like, the best way to sleep. Really? This is what, like... Cannot relate. I have been told, like... What I have learned and heard from, like, health people. Like, it's a real, like, sleep on your back, drink eight glasses of water a day bullshit. You know what I mean? Gross. Then I have to pee all the time. Right. I mean, I have to pee all the time anyway. I had to pee all the time before I started taking pills that make you pee all the time. So now you just, like, constantly pee. I constantly pee. Your pee When I'm at work, I feel like I pee on the hour. I was thought I thought you were about to say on something else, and I was waiting for what that might be. It wasn't a long period of time, but it was enough that I was like, "What are you peeing on? What are you peeing on, Chris? Huh? Oh my god! Tell me what you're peeing on. It- on the dogs to show them who's boss. I mean, that's the most reasonable. <laughs> the dogs are the only one who will appreciate it." My coworkers look at me so weird whenever I do it to them, so I stopped because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Let's talk about that one <laughs> So yeah, so Michael wakes up and goes. I, I guess they're still at Schmidt's house, but Schmidt's done. We don't see Schmidt anymore. Where did Schmidt go? Do we know? On the other side of the globe. Yeah, but I thought that was like once they left the country. I thought so too. I don't know why. But I guess he left and was like, you can keep the house for now? Like what? I mean, he had to run, I think. And it wasn't like his main house. It was a safe house. It wasn't like it was his house house. I guess. But yeah, Schmidt's gone. (laughs) It looked nice because Schmidt cares about the finer things. Sure. But it was not his main house. Mm. That was the thing. Like he was in a safe house and people couldn't find him. And like, but we, we talked about last week, last week. (laughs) Yeah. Well, whatever they're there, but he's not, uh, Michael goes out to attend a meeting. Now we don't know who the meeting is. And I assume that he's sneaking out because he hasn't told anyone about this meeting. We find out later that he has, we'll get to that when we get to that. But, um, it's Bly, it's Jason Bly. I don't know how, 
to explain why I'm so excited every time I see Jason Bly. And some of it is certainly like bad breaks, just uh-huh. sort of like nostalgia. But I don't know. Some about seeing the Alex Carter's goofy face, I'm like, oh, Bly's back. I'm so happy. No, he's a... It's nice to see him. He's a compelling performer. He's a compelling performer. And I yeah. like that he's like, even after he had like this very intense experience with Michael Weston, like he's, he doesn't fundamentally change how he is like he is a guy who's like protocol matters and if you're doing bullshit i will catch you and even after michael like ingratiates himself and they like come to an understanding he's still kind of like that like he i feel like a lot of people in the intelligence world once michael weston has like saved their life in a dramatic improvised fashion they're like i'm all about you michael and this guy's like i kind of trust you generally like i get your vibe you still fucking murdered a guy (laughs) like i'm still going to take you to jail sir and i like that about bly i like that he stands to his convictions yeah and he is very much about the rules matter like this whole like the whole deal like with this week and next week is that like bly is someone for whom the rules matter Mm -hmm. and like that's the most important thing he does not like it when other people in the cia don't follow the rules or anything because the rules are what matter and that's also what bridge of spies is about but yeah, but I feel like this has been consistent. And I like that every even every time we revisit him, like he's still like this. Like he yeah. hasn't learned to loosen up or like, you know, have a soft spot. Like he he trusts Michael Weston as a man, but like does not like him as a spy, which is fair. But yeah, so Bly's basically like, listen, I know Card was also kind of shady. So I tell you what, you help me with that investigation. You come with me willingly. Riley will get off your back. Your friends will not be in danger from Riley. And Michael's like, okay, cool. What will happen to them though? Like, are you going to send my family to jail? And Bly's like, I don't have a great answer for you right now. What if I check? And Michael's like, cool, you check. I will let you know if I will give myself up. And then like the police sirens are happening. And Michael's like, what the fuck? Did you call the police? I mean, he's like, yeah, immediately. (laughs) I follow the rules. But I figure you probably already had like an exit plan scaped out. So like, go on, get out of here. But I can't just fucking meet with you secretly, dude. And Michael's like, fine. And he leaves. Also... You wrote this in your notes, but we didn't. We haven't mentioned this out loud yet. That Riley, at this point, has already captured Sugar. Oh God, I forgot about that. You're right. <laughs> I was trying to just go off the dome instead of reading from my notes. But you're right. Yeah, what, the sort of like final nail in the coffin is Bly's. Like, listen, Riley's like, you know, she is pissed at you. She is gonna go after everyone. She does not care. Look at this. She's even got Sugar. <laughs> and then all, the whole audience goes, "Oh no, not Sugar." <laughs> Like, you wrote that in your notes, and I literally said it out loud (laughs) as I was watching the episode. I need you to understand, I said out loud, oh no, not sugar. (laughs) See, at first when he pulls out the file, I was like, oh, is this going to be an episode where, like, Bly needs Michael and Sugar to do something for him? It's like, no, it's just Sugar's in jail. So I guess that, that, that justifies his weird little cameo last week. Sugar has been put in there for flavor. Oh my god, because he's so sweet. So yeah, so Sugar's in jail or something, and this very much upsets Michael. Well, how could it not? So Michael leaves to think about it. Cold open. 
Post cold open, Michael tries to sneak back into bed, but Fee is waiting for him in the dark next to a lamp, like a troubled parent whose kid was sneaking out. Like, she's, like, sitting in a chair and, like, turns on the light when he comes in. And she's like, I'm very disappointed in you, Michael. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Kind of vibe. And then she reveals that she not only knew that he had a meeting that somebody wanted to have with him. Like, she knew about the note from the grave. But she also knew it was Bly. And so did he, apparently. How did he know it was Bly before he got there? Well, I assume he called the number. I guess. There was a number on the note. I assume, I actually really liked this because I thought it was really efficient. It is efficient, but I was just confused how she knew. I don't know. I I guess that, yeah, he must have called the number. It wasn't like there was an address and a time. It was a number. But like, I don't know. It it, it struck me kind of bizarre. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess on the one hand, I'm glad that Michael told them because the way that it was presented at the end of last episode is like he sends his mom away and discovers it on his own. So like, you know, per Michael's usual shit. keeps it under the hat but yeah i guess he told all of them and they were like yeah we all collectively agree don't meet him i think it is a moment that makes the episode shorter certainly that also gives it a fun little almost twist there's like a little moment of discovery that you've put in early on it's mm-hmm. kind of fun like it's it is a little disorienting. But it's like, disorienting because we don't know and yeah. we haven't seen the in-between. Exactly. You're right that it's efficient. It just, it threw me for a second. I think it's like, I like it. It is Burn Notice assuming that the audience can keep up, which is not a thing that Burn Notice always assumes. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated it. Yeah, fair enough. So he, he he catches Fee up on what Bly talked to him about. And of course she's like, you're not going to turn yourself in. And he's like, I mean, I might. <laughs> this is very bad. So uh, the next day, the boys all head down to the marina together. Apparently, their new plan to escape the country, which they're still trying to go for, is that they got a job on, like, a union cargo ship because they paid off the union boss and are going to, like, work the ship and sneak everyone else out on the same ship. And as they're there, like, meeting with the cargo captain union boy, cargo captain union boy is his official title, uh-huh. per the union contract. Uh, but Jesse stays outside to kind of keep an eye out, because Jesse's just sort of paranoid, which is fair and normal. Uh, and it turns out that that's probably a good thing, because while Sam and Michael are inside, like, finalizing details with the cargo guy who says, hey, they seized the ship that I was going to put you on. Don't worry, though. I caught it in time, and you're going to now be on a different ship, but you have to sign a bunch more paperwork. And they're like, okay seems weird but fine and then jesse calls in and is like hey something weird's going on out here and then you know as it turns out of course riley has gotten to this guy and they have to escape so sam and jesse go out the back jesse gets caught michael tries to block the cia from getting to him at sam at the very least but one guy comes up from like a different area and shoots sam through the car that sam's trying to back out of michael shoots the guy back he's got kevlar's he's fine and kicks him in the face and he and sam like peel away and as we rush off with sam and michael we realize sam has been shot and it so this is the second time in a couple of episodes that like somebody shooting at a car actually has an effect on things inside the car because i feel like normally in burn notice cars are fucking indestructible right and it's like you even if you shoot out a window you're probably not going to hit anyone inside but now twice yeah but no in this case like yeah before the the thing got all shot up. And mm-hmm. this time, Sam is now covered in Chef Boyardee. He sure is. He is not looking good. There's some really red blood. <laughs> well, it ha- we have to, you know, it's, it's a very bright, saturated show. Yeah. 
I think it's a choice. No, I enjoy it. I, I mean, I don't enjoy it because Sam's not doing well, but Sam's insisting he's fine. And as they're like having this conversation and Michael's like, we got to get you somewhere. And Sam's like, we can't risk going to a hospital. Let's just take me home. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And the camera pans back and we see that the guy who shot Sam is tied up and hog tied in the back of the car. And I was like, and that's when I remembered, oh yeah, it's a hostage exchange episode. Oh, this is fun. Right. Like, I, even though I read the IMDb description beforehand because I had to put it in my notes, I completely forgot about it until this moment. This is another really smart little bit wherein, mm-hmm. like, kind of hold off information in order to do it as a reveal mm-hmm. in a way that, like, works really well and doesn't feel, like, that confusing. It's like, oh, here, we've got this. It's very efficient and very well done. Yeah, I enjoyed Good that. Good job, Craig O'Neill. Yeah, it's fun. And I think, uh, as I was watching this, um, I was thinking back to the other Nick Gomez episodes, and I think Nick, Nick Gomez is actually a really good Burn Notice director because he has, like, a little bit of extra in him, <laughs> which is good for the kind of thing this show is. Yeah. But he's also a really competent, like, action director and, like, seems to have a really good sort of visual storytelling eye in a way that a lot of directors on this show kind of just like go with the script and yeah. you know they just like it. yeah they just sort of like point a camera and exactly like, but no, I yeah. feel like Nick Gomez is actually making choices yeah. and I really enjoy that and like communicating things through the like camera mm-hmm. yeah and I, I am yeah. curious how much he like editorializes because I know TV directors can sometimes have a little bit of leeway in terms of like hey there's this line could I cut it and do this with the camera? Yeah. And a lot of times, and I assume the same is true on Burn Notice, when you have, like, usually writers are sent to set to cover it and so they can make changes on the fly. And I, I, I'm just very curious, like, if Nick Gomez's relationship with the writers is a little bit different so that he can have moments like this. It's possible. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. But he's the only one that I would even think about that with because <laughs> most directors on Burn Notice just, yeah, point a camera. But anyways, they have a hostage. So meanwhile, with Jesse, Jesse is now in, like, a bunker safe house with the CIA and is doing a little chatterbox thing. And, you know, Michael has a voiceover about it but we've seen this before basically you talk so they don't have any space to ask questions but maybe run down your bogus leads but riley is getting fed up because riley knows what he's doing because you know Riley's a super spy. She's done all this shit before. So she sends in her biggest boy to do some punching. And Jesse tries to maintain his sense of humor, but I have a feeling it won't last long because this is a real big boy. Yeah, it is he is legitimately a real big boy. He's a real big boy and Riley is real fed up. Like this is where we start seeing like truly the lengths that Riley is willing to go. Like she's been like cracking the past couple of episodes and we keep hearing like, yeah, Riley's pissed. She's going to do some shit. And so, you know, like her taking over Madeline's house was like one bridge, making Madeline sign a contract. But like we're sort of watching Riley, you know, give up a little bit more of her soul each and every time as she gets frustrated with Michael's evasion. It's also Riley running out of clever shit Mm -hmm. like it's genuinely believable that riley at this point has exhausted all of her clever shit Mm -hmm. and so like the moment when she like calls in this real big boy (laughs) to beat up our boy it's like oh no she doesn't have that many cards in her sleeve anymore Mm -hmm. like it's just she's just gonna have to use brute force now because mm-hmm. that's what she has left. And I, I really like this. Yeah. I liked Riley when she was doing her clever shit and like we got to see someone who actually like had any amount of wits about her hunting Michael down. I like Michael having to like pivot a lot and like keep losing ground in order to stay even a little bit ahead. And I like that she is now running out of ideas too and going for brute force. 
I find it like a really compelling arc. No, it, it is. It all works really well. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. And usually this sort of a thing, like it goes well for one episode, but then like eventually the arc, we're like, okay, well, we can't, we can't blame this episode for the way that the arc has gone. But I really feel like it has actually been building up to this and I like it. I want to give credit where credit is due, y'all. Exactly. So back at Schmidt's house, still minus Schmidt, Fee and Maddie fuss over Sam as he starts to kind of go in and out. They discuss what's happening next. Uh, they discover there's no exit wound, so the bullet must still be inside of him. And uh, Michael and Fee talk for a bit and Fee agrees to call Campbell and we will actually see him this time because this is the second time this season they've mentioned Campbell and I was like, ooh, are we going to actually see him? Yeah, and it's so weird that, like, they just ha- mentioned him, mm-hmm. but then did not, like, have him show up. Right. To have him suddenly show up so suddenly, it, like, it feels almost like it makes it even weirder that he wasn't in the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very strange that he wasn't in the last one. He was just like, yeah, sure, borrow my ambulance. But this time he's like, no, I'm here and making demands. What's Campbell's deal? Honestly, I would love a spinoff show with Campbell. Where, like, he's sort of at the whim of these super spies and, like, every time they leave him with, like, more and more questions and, you know, this just, this, this this small-time EMT guy going on adventures of his own and, you know. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Like, that sounds terrible. Okay, well, then you don't get to write it with me. I'll call someone else. Me and Matt Nix will do it without you. Fair. (laughs) Uh, I love, like... Your pitching is like, what if Buffy was about Riley? <laughs> like, that's what you're pitching right now. Well, no, but here's the thing. It's worse than that. Because at least Riley, like, was sort of a super soldier and had his own, you know, adventures. And we know in between, like, the couple of times he leaves the show for a while that he had, like, lots of monster fighting adventures. Campbell's just like an EMT who occasionally gets called by his ex-girlfriend to do some extremely illegal are shit. You, are you suggesting that EMTs are not heroes? No, I'm... Brie Castellini, <laughs> on record, on this podcast, EMTs are not heroes, she EMTs says. are pussies and cowards. Brie Castellini, 2022. You're running for president? <laughs> In 2022, that's a bad time to do it. You should be running for senate or something. No, president. You gotta start these campaigns early, Chris. No, I was attributing the date to my quote, you Philistine. I'm not announcing my presidential run until next year, you fool. You coward. Just like an EMT. (laughs) I need you to laugh louder because it never shows up on the audio and it just sounds like I'm laughing at my own jokes constantly. I am laughing. Trust me, I am (laughs) laughing, audience. I, when I'm really, really laughing, it's like silent. I know, and it's really frustrating. Trust me. As the editor of this audio. Anytime, anytime this is happening, I am laughing audience know that this being breeze charismatic and adorable yeah yeah of course um so anyways there's a quick interrogation scene of uh our own where michael pretends that they kidnapped another agent and tries to do a prisoner's dilemma with a fake second person uh but the guy that he had i think his name is dean the guy that michael has kidnapped dean is you know also in the cia also a highly trained agent is like you're doing prisoner's dilemma on me fuck you (laughs) i always kind of hate in shows when they do prisoner's dilemma and then they have to explain Prisoner's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. And they have to do it every time. Yep. And, like, I, we all know what Prisoner's Dilemma is. Except we don't. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it reminds me of, like, whenever in a show someone wants to do a Ship of Theseus metaphor. 
Mm-hmm. And so they have to explain the entire ship of Theseus again. And I've like heard so many explanations of it. It's like, no, we get it. Ship of Theseus. Yeah. Like go on. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Prisoner's dilemma. We know what it is. I feel like we've done it in her notice. No, before. totally. But regardless, uh, we head but, back to... But this guy is too craggy to fall for it. He's too... This guy is so craggy. This is like... This guy has a face. He does. He does have a face. It's funny because as we saw him like a, like coming up behind Sam to like shoot him, I remember looking at this actor and being like, this actor has a lot more character to his face than normal. I wonder if we're gonna if he's gonna like have more than one scene. <laughs> like it's so funny in shows like this where most sort of background actors, especially who are just sort of grunts, are cast to be nothing. They're right. cast to be props. And so it's so funny how even though he looks like every other fucking guy in this show, like he also has a look of this is a person who will actually say lines <laughs> more than once. And it's so funny how you can just like notice that. Right. He has it's, a look of someone who was cast not to be in the background. It is like the live action equivalent of like watching an animated thing and going, they're going to pick that object up because it's animated differently. <laughs> it's not drawn in the ba- into the background. It's like a different cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just like, you know, shapes and colors. It's yeah. like there's an outline on that item. They're going to pick up that item. Same thing. Yep, Dean is that item. So back over in Jesse's scene, he's taking quite the beating. And he is, you know, kind of mirroring Dean, sort of mocking Riley for her own band, bad gambit. Um, good cop, bad cop. Because, like, she comes in and is like, all right, big boy, go take a walk. And he's like, oh, so you're a good cop? But then she appeals to him about how much he liked his Sifa job. Do you remember if his Sifa job is the one that he had before Michael burned him or after? It's the one before the thing that she is offering him at this point is, like, I can take you back to... I can reset your life to before Michael Weston. Well, but here's the thing. At the end of season four, didn't he have the opportunity to do that anyways? Because, like, they cleared his name, they got him good, and then he decided, no, I'm going to choose to go into the private sector and stay with you guys. Like, I feel like Jesse has had the opportunity to reset his life. I think because Michael made good on his promise eventually i mean so that's why i was asking if this was the before or after job i was like does does he really love his freelancing gig like is that what she's saying no. i didn't remember which one because i was like it doesn't make sense if it's the one before that because he already had that option and he decided against it i mean to be fair this is like her first ploy it's not her best ploy. i just was confused by which job she was talking about no the way she talks about it she's like i can she basically says, I can reset your life to pre-Michael Weston. But we know, and therefore she knows, because Olivia Riley knows everything up until this point, that he had that option and he walked away. So I don't understand. Like, it just, the I, way she presents it that makes it seem it like also, he didn't have the option before. And finally, after so many years, he'll get back into their good graces. I am fine with it because, again, it does feel like she's run out of all of her good ideas. Like, all of this... Even if she had said, like, I know you walked away before, but that was before things got so bad. Like, something like that. It's possible. Honestly, I had forgotten, and it didn't bug me. Yeah, it bugged me because it's not as good of a gambit this way. Well, no, but she has a much better gambit in, like, two scenes. I mean, she has a much better gambit in two scenes, but it's also a riskier gambit. I guess. Um, I can see, like, this being a thing that she could accomplish. Like, she is starting with a gambit that she can like accomplish and mm-hmm. like give but like the later gambit is purely a gamble mm-hmm. and so i think that's why she well we don't know it's order. a gamble until much later but no no but like enough. i will say yeah. just once again a tiny little thing just kind of bumped me well no because i think it's one of those things wherein like i are i would argue like because her other gambit is a gamble mm-hmm. it makes 
a gambit gamble. Mm -hmm. It makes all of these events make sense. And I do think like this episode is doing that thing of like kind of holding back on information Mm -hmm. a lot. And like, that is the game that it is playing. Okay. So like, this is one of those things where like, if at the very end, I think everything makes sense. All right. In context, it's fair. It's just, uh, also, I just couldn't remember which job they were talking about. So I was having trouble. I'm like, is there a scene where he like loves his new job? Did I forget about this? The thing was <laughs> that to me felt more implausible than she was just offering him a thing he'd been offered before. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying like two or three words would have fixed this. Whatever. Yeah. So now we've got Campbell. Campbell's back. And apparently his first name is John. I could have sworn Campbell was his first name. I don't think Cam- anyone has ever called him John. Campbell Campbell. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I assume, assumed it was Campbell John. <laughs> Campbell John. <laughs> But yeah, no, apparently his first name is John, and it's wild to me that they're still in touch, and that he basically, like, they mention that he's her ex, and, like, I think there's, like, a spy tip about, you know, sometimes it's awkward, but, like, if you have an asset, you gotta use him or something like that, but it's, like, I do wonder what Campbell's deal is, where he's, like, we have not slept together in years. You do lots of wildly illegal shit. But sure, take my ambulance and call me out to the boonies for with, like, no notice so that I can do emergency surgery. I mean, I think that, A, Campbell knows that Michael's a good guy. Yeah. And, B, knows that they are actually a good friend to have. Like, the, the thing about, like, Michael Weston and co. that makes all of their shit work mm-hmm. and, like allows them to keep all of their contacts is that they have proved that they are always trying to do a good thing that is worth doing and that if you come to them with something they will throw everything their whole lives into helping you with a thing and like that's i feel like they've done a case for campbell before yeah like they are just good friends to have even if it means that every once in a while you have to do this kind of bullshit because (laughs) like it's true it's you were Putting money in the bank so that when it's your turn to cash out, you can cash out. That's true. So it's a good insurance policy to have, even if it sets you back a little bit every once in a while. Right. But anyways, yeah, Campbell's here. Um, He gets the girls to help him triage, but is like, you guys need, I'm an EMT. You guys have to get him to the hospital. And Sam's like, no. And he's like, you have to go to the hospital. The damage is probably really bad. And Sam's like, no, I just need you to help me buy more time. And Campbell's like, fine. Uh, Michael continues his interrogation of Dean, who points out as Michael is trying to, like, give him the sob story that, like, all right, well, whether or not you're right about Tom Card, you know, being a a little bit of a a big bitch, he didn't put your brother in the field, right? You did. And Michael's, and he's like, and also, you don't have any proof of Tom's stuff. We have proof that you put your fucking brother in the field. And he got shot. And it's like, maybe whose fault is that, dude? And Michael's like, and I'm gonna have to live with that for the rest of my life, blah, 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 blah. And, and once again, it's like, Dean's not a bad guy. He is a good guy who just doesn't believe the wild stories Michael Weston is telling. Well, which feels like we it happens a lot in the show. Well, no, I do think that, like, it's not even that he doesn't believe Michael. It's just that his priorities are different. Like, I think he probably thinks that card is probably not a good guy Mm -hmm. like he probably believes all of that shit like and like he makes a really good point that like yeah he didn't kill your brother Mm -hmm. like and it's also like yeah card did bad shit 
he works for the CIA. Like, I think it's possible that, like, Craggy Dean is like, I don't know if you have any illusions about what the CIA is, <laughs> but I do not. Yeah. And and he's like, like, why would I believe you? Like, you you sound like a liar. And Michael's like, you know that Card was basically daddy, right? Why would I turn in daddy for no good reason? And Dean's like, cool story, still murder. And Riley is gonna totally fuck your friend up if you don't turn yourself in. So why don't you just make the good choice and turn yourself in? And Michael's like, no. So back at Riley's interrogation, she brings up Jesse's mother's murder and says, hey, you know how you tried 37 times to get some this this specific like sealed CI file and you just couldn't? What if I had it and you could also have it if you turned in Michael? And like this becomes obviously a very big point for the rest of the episode. And I feel like this would have more impact if we've heard Jesse bring it up more than once a season for three seasons. Like, it feels like such a background detail where I think we get it a little bit his season that he was introduced, maybe in context of like him getting close to Madeline. Or no, it was, I think it was one of the first episodes we had with him where he talks about it as if it was his aunt, but it was actually his mom or something. I don't know. And then he brings it up once to Lawrence Demille, I feel like, on the cruise maybe? He brings it up once and then he brings it up one more time with Madeline a couple of episodes ago where he's like, you think I don't want to see my mom's grave before I leave? You can't go see Nate's grave. I mean, it's always been part of his character that he's like a sad mama's boy. Like, I... Yeah, but like this being like, this is the final gambit and Jesse seriously considering it. I don't know. It feels... It feels... It, I will say... It also feels weird that he never brought it up to the gang. Like, if, it, if this is this big of a deal to him, why wouldn't he say, like, hey, do you think we could ever take a break and maybe go hunt down my mom's murderer? I mean, it did feel like he assumed that there was nothing he could ever do. Like, he's been working on that. He worked on that for so long. Yeah, but he worked on it within the context of the law, which she even mentions. She's like, you had lots of lawyers. You, like, kept filing right. motions. But wasn't, like, four seasons ago when he decided to go the Michael Weston way of things, wasn't I mean, he tacit? agreeing that sometimes the system doesn't work i mean i feel like it it plays like he's put this behind him right but like it's not like he still doesn't really want to know and it, i i agree that it's a little strange the possibility like and he never does yeah no he he like, maintains his you know his loyalty to yeah, the living know, i buy it like it's a little informed like sort of tell don't show mm -hmm. um for the show but it's also and like for jesse who like we just don't have a lot about but it's also kind of like jesse's mom getting killed is a little bit like batman's parents getting killed like yeah but batman like, talks about it constantly <laughs> jesse well, barely brings this jesse up. is more well adjusted than batman that's you know what you got me there yeah i'm just saying that like as like a reveal as like this dangling cherry and like his reaction when he finds out that it's all fake like it just it feels a little bit too convenient and too much for a thing that barely ever gets mentioned it it is a thing that it is his one thing yeah like and i the thing was i always knew that this was going to be the thing mm -hmm. because it's his one thing yeah I like guess. the minute that like he was captured and like she started offering him shit. It was like, oh, he's gonna offer him the mother thing. Like that's right. that's it. That uh, to is... be honest, I forgot that his mother was murdered because like really? the last time he brought it up to Madeline was just like his mom was dead, and I'm like, oh, that's sad for him. <laughs> no, 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 no. I like immediately knew that. Oh, this is what her gambit's gonna be. Yeah, I, I mean, I forgot because it's truly been so many seasons. What, I, what I'm saying is not that I don't necessarily buy it. Like in terms of the plot, it's more that I don't emotionally give a shit because it doesn't seem to inform his character to the extent that it seems like 
it must in order for him to have the reaction that it does. I feel like it does. I feel like it gets brought up often enough and, like... Once a season, barely in the background. But it's also kind of... It informs... It's always informed, like, his morality. Like, the reason that he is more of a fee character than, like, a Michael and Sam character, less of a law boy is because of that is because he cares more about like the helping the people and the justice uh, but like not the law justice it's like because the law let him down and that's always been part of like his larger morality is that this thing happened to him i feel like that's true on paper but less true in execution a lot of the time yeah but i i I don't know it worked for me like i had no problem with that that's fair like again i knew it was coming I know that that's part of his character. It's always worked for me. Like, right. enough. It's not, like, the most compelling thing because it's very cliche and boring. Mm-hmm. And they don't really go into it with a lot of detail so that I am emotionally invested in his character. And as I mother. want to be. Because there's so many things that we're emotionally invested in at this point in a lot of the other people. And I feel like Jesse has really gotten underserved since he yes. was added to the cast, which is too bad. Yes. And I... This episode is trying to be a Jesse episode. It really is. And all credit to Kobe Bell. He's doing genuinely a good job. Like, his whole interrogation arc, I buy it. Like, he looks so crestfallen at times. He looks so, like, heartbroken and, like, you know, he's doing a really good job. We say this all the time. I do not know why Kobe Bell was not a bigger star. I do either. I have no clue. He is honestly, like... The most charismatic person of the main four. Oh, for sure. Like, and I that don't... includes Bruce Campbell, whose like whole thing is his charisma. Exactly. He is so charismatic. Mm-hmm. Like, he could have been a movie star, and he has a lot more range than the rest. He of He has two. so much more range. I have n- no idea why he just keeps playing cops for the rest of his life. He looks. I think he's probably just getting. Um, what's that called? Typecast. Yeah, I think he's just getting typecast. No, he's, he's getting typecast. Giant and bald. Exactly. But it's, yeah, it's really too bad. He's incredible. so charismatic. I don't know what's going on with that. I wonder if he had hair, if it would happen less. That he would be typecast less? Mm -hmm. I don't know, because I can't imagine what he looks like with hair. I can't either. I feel like he would look bad with hair. I agree. But I just wonder if it's, like, the size, the baldness, the... It is a little bit, but, like, and he never had a moment, like, where he could show his range, really. Mm -hmm. Because, like, he never really got a thing like Mm -hmm. he's never been given a vehicle yeah like i would love for kobe bell to get a vehicle i don't know how old he is now he's probably like he's in his 40s he's in his 40s a little he's a little too old for him to like suddenly like pop as like a movie star guys have the opportunity but like he could i think you could put him he could play a superhero like i think you could give him like a marvel show oh totally and like he would be so good in it i think like Honestly, like, how old is RDJ when, like, fucking... I don't know why I called him RDJ. <laughs> but, like, how old was... I forgot. Robert name. Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. When he did made Iron Man. He was in his 40s. How old was he? Like, late Kirby Bell was born in 1975, whatever that makes him. That makes him old. <laughs> All right. Uh, RDJ was born in 65. Yeah. Uh, and he did Iron Man in 2008. Yeah. So what is that? Do some fucking math right here. He, he was 43. 43. Exactly. I think you could get Kobe Bell in a Marvel show now. He would pop. 
And he would do very well. He's super charismatic. Kobe Bell is currently 47 years old. He could still pop. I, I think he I could get, pop. like he could pop like he he has and to if he's now a little be... older and over it that's also that works yeah. for me I feel like he could play with that but it, yeah he definitely could but it is a thing that it's kind of sad because like when he was younger like he had a youthfulness about him mm-hmm. he had truly movie star charisma mm-hmm. it's so sad it's very sad yeah I'm 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 sad that he didn't get to do more but who knows? maybe he's an asshole <laughs> maybe. I mean, he's been married to the same person since 2001 and has four kids, so. Okay. Maybe Especially in Hollywood, that, that seems to Maybe be. Maybe that's it. Maybe he just wants to, like, have steady work. And, and huh. you know what? I yeah. absolutely no judgment to whatever Kobe Bell has decided to do with his career, but if he wanted to be a movie star, he could have been and still could right. be. And we believe in him and love him. We love exactly. you, Kobe Bell. We love you, Kobe Bell. Come on the show. Back to Dino's interrogation. Uh, Fee gets fed up and marches in to do her own. Dean pitches them that like, hey, I'll help you do a prisoner exchange. Everything will be fine. Like, I just want to get out of here and get out of this this deal. And Michael's like, hell yeah. And Fee's like, absolutely not. What? And Michael's like, no, come with me, Fee. Let's, let's discuss this really good plan that Dino has. And so they leave and Fee's all pissed at him. And he's like, hey, did you not notice that he had taken a piece of metal off the table? He's trying to escape. And Fee's like, what? We have to go in there and like stop him. And Michael's like, no. We should let him escape. And then we can tap the call that he makes out. Like, he's smart. He'll be able to get a call out. And then we can trace the call to find out where they're holding Jesse. Like, we can use his escape to our advantage. And she's like, I don't like this. He's a very big boy, but okay. Have you seen his face? (laughs) A lot of character in that face. Back over in Riley's neck of the woods, um, she's like reading allegedly the CIA file in front of Jesse to bait him and puts a limited time offer on the table. And it's a, there's a, there's a beat, but he still refuses and he does a really good job with it. I will say the biggest weakness of this episode for me, Mm -hmm. the big thing that does not make sense for me Mm -hmm. is that, we never see Jesse at any point ask for proof that it is an actual file. Yeah, like, that's a good point. It is a Yeah, reveal- he just accepts it immediately. Exactly. Like, because again, spoilers for the end of the episode, it's nothing, it's blank pages. Mm-hmm. It's not a real file. But the thing is, it's so obviously likely that it would not be a real file that, like, I would want to at least see that, like, there's stuff in it. I think the what, what I will interpret to give a good faith interpretation of this is that Jesse like doesn't want to tempt himself, doesn't want Riley to think she's winning, and like even when he starts to con- wonder it, it's like his conviction and loyalty to his friends is strong enough that it doesn't even matter. Like when he gets the opportunity to look at it later, he's going to take it, but like up until then. That makes sense. I'll buy that. Yeah. But that was always the thing. That was the thing that I was watching mm-hmm. and kind of feeling weird about. Like, But just, Jesse's not really an outsmarter guy. Like, right. I feel like Michael would have done that to, like, test her. I feel like Jesse's whole thing is, like, you know, f- no, my f- I, I got to stay true to my friends. I'm not even going to And it's also this. a thing of, like, he's stalling mm-hmm. and, like, he doesn't want to remove this gambit. Right. Like, he wants to keep it going. Yeah. And, like, I can see that. Yeah, that that so that's what that's my good faith interpretation. Because right. in case you haven't told been able to tell right by now, we like this episode. This is a very good episode. Yeah, no, it is. I'm feeling tense. I'm feeling upset. Everyone looks upset. Sam's getting you know worse and worse. Campbell's there. <laughs> it's a whole thing. So Dean does in fact escape while Sam looks even worse and is like, "What's happening?" I can tell there's a plan going on, and Fee's like, "No, we we don't have time for this." And he like 
is going into shock, but he's also holding a gun, which is important later. He's like, no, let me in on the plan. Let me help. And she's like, you are going to die. Stop this. So Dean escapes. He hacks into the phone line with some tricky little tricks, but Michael and Fee track the call because they were prepared for it and therefore they can track it faster than the CIA can. So they cut the line when they have tracked it properly, uh, but before the CIA can backtrack them. And then they go to recapture Dean, but he's no fool and has other tricky tricks up his sleeve. Luckily, though, uh, from the scene before, Sam has a gun and backs them up and comes to the rescue. So everything's fine. But now Sam looks even worse because, you know, yeah, he, he stood up and shouldn't have. Right. It's a real, like, fist pump moment. Mm-hmm. I think it works. Like, yeah, I think totally. It was a little corny when I watched it, but, like, yeah. the, the, the extent to which Sam pays for it. Yes. Makes it work for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the Sam's mortal danger is a ongoing concern right. throughout the rest of the season. And yeah. I think it, yeah, I think it sells it. No, totally. And I also believe that, like, Sam lives his life for these kind of corny moments. He 100% does. You know, and this is a world that, like, supports that. <laughs> this yeah. is a universe where that is a thing that a person like Sam Axe can, like, manufacture for himself. Right. So Michael, alone, for whatever reason, heads to where they know Jesse is and calls Fee back at the house. Uh, you know, he's scouted it out. They can't blow out a wall like she probably wants to without possibly killing someone because they don't have eyes inside. And it's like this big metal building. But Fia has an idea, so then she goes and talks to Campbell again and asks for a shit ton of fentanyl, and it's inverse because they need to bleach with bleach. They need to breach without bloodshed, and eventually he agrees. At this point, he's sort of like, "I'm not even in for a penny at this point. I'm in for like three pounds. May as well add another pound." Sure, as long as you say you're doing it so that nobody gets hurt. And she's like, that's the whole thing. So we cut to the gassing already beginning. Riley realizes what's happening as her men kind of collapse around her. This is a really well-directed sequence. Yes, this is what I'm saying about fucking Nick Gomez. It's like, there's tension, there's cool visual storytelling, there's like good directing as we're like revealing more and more. And we're not sure like time-wise, like are they going to make it out? Is Riley going to manage to escape with Jesse at gunpoint? No, we, we experience this viscerally from Riley's perspective in a way that is really well done. Mm-hmm. It's a really good sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool sequence. You can see the gas and like the fog and smoke kind of surrounding them. Like it's a, yeah. it's cool. It's atmospheric. Thankfully, you know, the, it, it wor- Riley gets them like right to the exit. Like she, she unhandcuffs Jesse and is trying to take him outside so they can get out of the gas. But she collapses like in the middle of calling for backup and as does Jesse. So then Fee and Michael get in somehow. Like they, they blow their way in. They give Jesse the inverse. They keep calling it. Is that what they call it? The inverse? I don't remember, but it's not important. Yeah, they, they kept calling it something. I think they just kept wanting to not say yeah, they, that. They, Antidote? Yeah, well, because it's not an antidote, allegedly. Because, like, fentanyl doesn't need, isn't a poison, necessarily. It just can, it's just easy to overdose. But they have the inverse, is, yeah, what they keep calling it. And Fee kind of goes around and zip ties Riley's men while injecting the inverse into them. Lenatef? Yeah, something like that. Uh, So that they don't overdose. um, But also, so they can't, like, pursue them. Okay. Well, in any case, uh, Jesse sort of like comes to and is like, did you drug me? And Michael's like, yeah, we 100% gassed you. And Fee kind of hesitates before giving Riley the inverse. She's like, but what if we just forgot? Whoopsie. (laughs) And Michael's like, no, 
we're in this mess because I decided to kill someone extrajudiciously. Maybe we should avoid adding more bodies to the body count. And Fee's like, ugh, fine. As they're deliberating about this, Jesse kind of stumbles over to the file, that the CI file, and this is where he discovers it's a fake and he like throws it and is very upset. But, you know, yeah. par for the course. So they, they head outside to run away because they hear the sirens and realize, fuck, Riley must have gotten like a phone call out to call in backup. I never mentioned this, I don't think, but Bly had given Michael a burner phone and Bly calls the burner phone and it's like, hey, Michael, um, I'm hearing some things, including sirens on your end of the phone. What the fuck did you do? And Michael's like, not now, Bly, and like hangs up and they like peel out and get back to the safe house right as Sam is like really declining. So uh, they throw him into the car or my Fee and Michael do? Jesse, they just drop him off at home, I guess. Right. Like I didn't really notice at the end of this episode because then when we pick up next episode, Jesse's not with them. And I'm like, wait, where the fuck is Jesse? Didn't they just pick him up? But I guess they drop Jesse off and put Sam into the car. Fee is like a bat out of hell driving to some shady doctor. R.I.P. Meatloaf. <laughs> meatloaf just oh, died. Yeah. Like, meatloaf just I died. I that was a Meatloaf reference. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not only a Meatloaf. Re- it is a phrase. Sure. Like, it is a stock phrase that exists pre-Meatloaf. Right. Like, he is trading on that phrase when he is, like, singing that song. But still. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, he seemed like kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely did. So anyways. But like Paradise by the Dashboard Light still slaps. Okay, let's like. (laughs) Fee drives very quickly to some doctor that she knows who's allegedly shady. And Michael like holds Sam in his arms in the backseat. And Sam's like, or Michael's like, Sam, I promise you, I'm going to do whatever I have to, to, to make this right. I'm going to like, I'm going to make sure that you're okay. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And Sam points out like, that's. You know, that's like the problem, right? Is that you just will do whatever. But like at a certain, you know, I know that you do bad things with good intentions. But at a certain point, if you do enough bad things, even for good reasons, you start to become a bad guy. Make this right. You have to make this right. And then he kind of like drifts off and Michael is screaming his name. And the episode ends as Sam's eyes close. Like that is like Sam's like morality in a nutshell. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that there are good guys and bad guys, and if you do enough bad things, you become a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's very simple and straightforward. And like, I think to the show's credit, it is not exactly the show's morality, although the show's morality is close to it. Yeah. But like, yeah, that is him summing up his whole deal. And then he looks like he might die. Which and means I, he's not gonna die. But I mean, like, I don't know. There was a part of me, because we had mentioned earlier maybe this season, maybe late last season that we were wondering if they were going to kill Sam off. And we know that this is the second to last season and the last season is less episodes. And so there is precedent for like a a shorter final season, partially because they have lost several actors, whether it's Bruce Campbell, whether it's Sharon Gless, like we thought. Here's the thing. Anytime there is a cliffhanger where not, whether or not someone died is the cliffhanger. Mm Mm-hmm. It, they never died. Like, like it's know. not it's really. I can't season. think. I know, but the thing is that, like, if they were killing Sam off, like, we would know for sure. We would know for sure. Like, that's not how they do. I that. didn't think he was gonna die this moment. I thought he might die in the finale. In the finale, that was my. But I think, like, I will say, suspicion. like, I had, I was thinking that they might kill off Sam, but like. 
the fact that the episode ended on a cliffhanger about whether or not he would die made me feel more confident that he would not die because if they wanted to kill Sam, they would be fainting away from it. They would be like, they would not be like already making the audience worry about it. Yeah, they they would like leave him at the house with Madeline and be like, oh no guys, I'm totally fine. Everything's great. Exactly. That is how they would do that. So I was just like, I was like, oh, like literally when it cut to black, I was like, oh, so Sam's fine. That's good. I was like, because I was worried about Sam. I was worried about my Boy Scout. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, it was like, oh no, we're, we're doing this for the cliffhanger. Yeah. But you know, it was effective. Yeah, no, it was very effective. It was very well done, very well directed. Mm-hmm. Good job, Nick Gomez. Yeah. Um, okay, so spy tips really quickly. Uh, there were quite a few in this episode. Some of these better than others, but we got a good list to pick from. Number one, if you need to leave the country quietly, one of the best methods is getting hired under the crew of a cargo ship. Ports have so much internal oversight, including months of background checks and union wait lists, the police don't pay much attention. The trick is to finding a union rep willing to shuffle your paperwork to the top. Then, of course, providing him with the proper motivation. Um, We could work in a cargo ship. We could work in a cargo ship. Yeah, I'll take it. The moral of this tip is that unions are shady. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, like, the thing. I think it's like unions are usually not, so the police don't pay attention. So use that assumption that's fair. against them. Like, yeah. And, but also, like... And apparently, be a part of the union is part of the tip. And, yeah. And it's also a situation in which, like, unions are... Like, shady oftentimes is defined as being set against the cops. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind if unions are shady in the sense that they don't care about the cops. <laughs> also, it's just like, it's it's not about like leaving the country quiet. It's like get hired. It's not like stow away in a car right. ship, but like get hired because of these couple of things. Right. And like, this is who you talk to. I don't know. I feel like there's enough here. No, totally. But it's also like, it is also like pretty clear from like the conversation and the way it goes. It's not as if like fear, they're getting hired for like one job, like, the union guy knows he's smuggling them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not a situation but where they're like, like... But this is the best case scenario for smuggling for because smuggling. of these other yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's a good tip. I'll take it. Yeah. That, I'll take that, it. That's all I'm saying. Number two. Interrogations are all about finding a person's vulnerability and exploiting it. If they're dumb, you trick them. Scared, you intimidate them. Emotional, you rile them. But if they're trained in all the same ways you are, sometimes all that's left is telling the truth. I don't think that's a thing either. It's not like... So here's my thing, is we've said before in, like, manipulation tips that we wish they gave us specifics. Like, there was there was one time where, uh, a couple weeks ago, we accepted a tip about, like, replacing one emotion you're already feeling with another one that's slightly similar. So I was thinking that this might be on the same lines. Of, like, I mean, I can like, take the fact that, like... Like, runs- there's three separate things where it's, like, if they're dumb, you trick them. Scared, you intimidate them. Emotional, you rile I'll them. I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, there's enough in I'll here. I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, you see where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I get it. I understand. All right, number three. Sell your phone. Uh, sell you. Bleh. Sell your phone. Sell your phone. Everyone, sell your phone. They're spying on us. They're spying on us. Your sperm count, it's all down. Uh, Number three, cellular phone technology has come a long way in the last 10 years. Landlines, on the other hand, have worked the same way for a century, which means making a working home phone requires only very basic equipment. A set of headphones can be turned into a handset by flipping the LEDs on one of the speakers and making it a microphone. After that's done, you just need to make a hook switch, a circuit that does the job of a keypad. Then as long as you can count to 10 and know the phone number you're dialing, you can complete a call to anyone. Yeah, no, that's all good. We'll take that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
There's like eight different things in there. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's full information there. <laughs> exactly. Number four, intelligence agency safe houses are designed to be difficult to detect. Still, if you can find one, you know it. Uh, still, you can find one if you know what to look for. The biggest tip-offs are transportation and security. If you see two armored vehicles parked in front of a rundown old building with brand new storm shutters, chances are you're in the right place. Yeah. I'll yeah. take that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's about, you know, because the, the thing about this one is that, like, they had narrowed down the location of the call, but, you know, there's still somewhat of a radius of where he was right. at a search. And so this is like, okay, once you have a search radius, here's how to narrow it down. No, it's specific enough. I'll buy it. Yeah. It's on the line. It's but, on the line. I will I will be perfectly honest. Like, I, I was thinking about a different thing in my head. I was only half listening to it. But I'm like, I'm looking at it. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You see why I left it in there. I see why you left it in there. All right, cool. I see what you did there. (laughs) Number five, using gas as part of a breach is extremely dangerous and rarely done. But if the building is small enough and you have access to the ventilation system, it can help you avoid a bloody situation. A hospital vaporizer will allow you to turn the liquid sedative into aerosol and dilute it with solvent gas. Once you have the right concentration, you let the AC unit pump it into every room. Time is extremely important when administering an opioid analgesic. You have to wait long enough for the drug to take effect, but not so long that you leave bodies on the ground. At most, you only have a few minutes to inject the sedatives inverse to ensure that no one overdoses and goes into respiratory arrest. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Another, yeah. this is, yeah, it's full of stuff. An- another extremely it's detailed. <laughs> chock full of shit there. Like, yeah, of course. So that's officially five practical spy tips. All right. Was, was there spy cops over violence? <laughs> I don't know why you stopped. I was like turning to you. I'm like, all right, you can do the transition. That's fine. Well, no, I thought you turned to me like, that's my job, bitch. <laughs> I, this is a co-hosted podcast. You're allowed to speak. Especially when you're already in the middle of speaking. Why would I say, why would I be upset with that? I that would be know. such a weird behavior for me, a known non-narcissist. Was it spycraft over violence? I think so. They, yeah, use, sure. they use gas instead of guns. They Yeah, that's very true. You know what I mean? No, totally. And, like, they didn't overpower Dean. No. Dean Cragface. And they kind of used his escape attempt against yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of spy stuff there. Totally. So, yeah. Spycraft over, over violence. No alias. I think it's safe to say there will not be an alias through the rest of the season. Things are escalating. So it comes down once again to the supporting characters being used well. So, number one, does Fee get to blow something up or get to be protagonist? Uh, no, she I doesn't blow anything up. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think she does. She pointedly doesn't. Yeah. She uses gas. <laughs> Basically, a... Michael starts with, I'm sorry, Fee, you don't get to blow anything up. <laughs> exactly. Does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? I'd argue that he does. Yeah. I think it's a big fist pump moment. Exactly. Yeah. That was exactly what I was gonna say. Was that, yeah, he got his fist pump moment. Okay. Yeah. Is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I would argue yes. Yes. I w- yeah. So... Officially, too, but just to round it out, Madeline does not get a genuine emotional moment or get to do the case of the week because she's barely in this episode. Barely in this episode. Like, she's there to kind of tut over Sam a little right. bit. That's it. That is her whole job. Yeah. So the women kind of got sidelined, but it was sort of the boys' week. It was boys' week, yeah. It was boys, and it's always boys' week, let's be honest. But, yeah. you know, it was sex- exceptionally boys' week this week. But it was all boys' week. So. All boys' week. All boys' week. Great episode of Burn Notice. Great episode of Burn Notice. Now. Was it a great episode of television? You know, I could be convinced. I could also be convinced. Especially, like, I feel like you actually, I was already on the fence of, like, I'll let her talk me into it. But then as we were recapping the episode, anytime I mentioned one of the things that kind of bumped me, you had a really 
well thought out good faith interpretation of why it was that way that contributed to the overall arc. No, totally. And, and I like, agreed did, with all of that. And you had one and I agreed with yours. Yeah, I think we convinced each other. And like it was so well directed. It was very well directed. I think Craig O'Neill did a good job. Yeah. Like for being normally the comedy guy, more of the comedy guy certainly. Right. I feel like unlike Jason Tracy who just like injects bullshit comedy into nothing, Craig O'Neill knows when to hold back. No, yeah, totally. I think... Yeah, I'll give it to it. This I think is a great it, episode of television. I think it really was. I yeah. think it was exciting. I think it was tense. I think they did a lot of interesting things. I think it's a satisfying penultimate Riley arc. Yeah. It worked for me. That was a great episode of television and a great episode of Burn Notice. Congrats, Craig O'Neill. And Nick Gomez. And Nick Gomez. Definitely. Like, we normally don't talk about the director beyond mentioning their name at the top or making fun of them if it's somebody in particular. But, yeah. like, Nick Gomez, I think this might be his last burn notice. Because he only did a couple, I remember. What else has he done? I, like, uh, I feel like This I, is the guy that was, like, a nomad. <laughs> it was, like, a whole thing about, like, Nick Gomez was a no- had a nomadic oh. lifestyle. Do you not remember that? Oh, I remember that. I didn't realize that was this guy. Yeah, that's Nick Gomez. So he's been doing some new Amsterdam recently. Titans. He did an episode of the Spans. He did an episode of Ray Donovan, which is different from Jeffrey Donovan. <laughs> it is also different from something else Donovan, which is the character that Tom Hanks plays in Bridge of Spies. Oh my god. Uh, On the episode of Blank Check, they accidentally call him Jeffrey Donovan. <laughs> did they really? Yeah. That's but- very funny. I was listening to it on the way here, and I was like, that was so funny, because I was like literally driving to do the burn of this podcast. He directed for Imposters. Yeah. I love Imposters. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. this is his last burn of this episode. He, he directed three in total. Yeah, wow. But good job. Mm-hmm. You're a good guy. Yeah, he seems like he just sort of bounces around. He's in Dexter, True did, Blood, The Shield. Did a Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he basically just bops around yeah. TV procedurals. Like and, a nomad. And he's fucking good at it. I'm, you know. Yeah. Good job, Nick Gomez. We like you. Mm-hmm. Hope you're not an asshole. Yeah, I You're a little so pretentious. Too. But, you know, that works for me. Yeah. Because his flavor of pretension, I feel like, works for Burn Notice because he also fully commits. Like, he's not treating yeah. this like a silly little TV procedural. No, he treats really... it like this is a big budget action movie and we're going to have our moments. Agreed. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that, too. So, yeah. Great episode of television. Great direction. Great writing. Great episode of Burn Notice. And with that... Until next week, friends, there is nothing left to say but to thank Vincent E.L. once again for our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music from vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until the finale next week, bye. Mark Rylance won an Oscar for it. Bridge of Spies. (laughs) I was going to say, is this one final Bridge of Spies moment? Of course it is. (laughs)